Hi everyone, so my name is Kirsten Hyde and I work here on staff. And for those of you that don't know, I am from this little town called Seattle, Washington. Yay! And I think it is one of the most beautiful places that I, that I have ever been to and seen. We have the Olympic Mountains, we have Lake Washington, we have the Puget Sound, and we have this incredible mountain called Mount Rainier. Do you want to show that picture? There it is. Huge. So this mountain, there you go, it's a huge noise. Um, this mountain kind of sits over the city and overlooks us in this beautiful majesty. That picture, actually, if you guys know Maddie, our intern, it's really close to her house. So that was the view she would get as she would drive to school. However, if you guys maybe were to go to Seattle tomorrow and you were to encounter a typical Seattle day, AKA overcast and a little cloudy, you might go to the Space Needle, you might go on a ferry ride, you might go to the Pike Place Market, you might go visit my house, you might go onto my college campus and never see Mount Rainier. You wanna show the next picture? So this is my college campus on a gloomy day. Okay, no mountain. Yeah, the next day, maybe you would go back to the University of Washington to that same spot and the clouds would disappear and there it is. This picture of Mount Rainier, what we people in Seattle say, Rainier's out and get so excited about this idea that a huge mountain can be clouded over, can cannot be seen at some points has stuck in my head as I have studied this scripture that we are gonna be talking about today. We, for those of you that are new or don't remember, we're going through a sermon series called That's What He Said, talking about things that Jesus said about himself. And today's title that Jesus says about himself reminds me of this picture this title gives us a clearer picture of who God is when sometimes our vision is cloudy. So before we jump into our passage tonight, let us pray. Father God, uh, thanks for Mount Rainier. I think it is, it is stellar. Um, I pray that tonight as we learn um, about you, that... Um, you may give me clarity to teach, that you may give us clarity to hear and see your word alive and well. Pray this in your name, amen. So tonight's scripture comes from Mark 8, and before the passage we're gonna read together, Jesus and his disciples are walking into a town called Bethsaida. And they're in this town, and then some guys come up to him and say, hey, we have our friend who's blind, will you please heal him? So Jesus takes this guy out of the city and he spits in his eyes. And he asks this man, can you see? And this guy says, oh, I see people, but they're walking around like trees. So Jesus lays his hand on his eyes 
And the man opens his eyes and his sight is restored and he can see everything clearly. In this story, I believe, is Jesus leading up to this encounter he's about to have with Peter. That he's showing Peter, he's showing us that yes, he cares about physical healing of sight, but he also desires for us to have a clearer picture of who he is and a clear mind and heart towards him as well. This title that Jesus is about to introduce himself as to Peter is an apocalyptic title. It is one that he has used 84 times in the Gospels, so obviously he really likes this title. And when I say apocalyptic, I don't mean like the zombies are coming or like go get your cans because the world is over and Jesus is letting you know. But apocalyptic in terms of its real definition, apocalyptic meaning revelation, meaning revealing. So as Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, what he is doing is revealing a clearer picture of who he is, of who God is to his disciples and to us. So let's take a look at this passage in Mark 8. You can put that up on the screen. And Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, the others said Elijah, the others one, one prophet. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Peter's view of who God was similar to the blind man, was clouded. He knew that Jesus was the Christ. He said that plain and clear. But when he heard Jesus say, the son of man must suffer and die, he was so upset that he rebuked Jesus. And rebuke being a term that, that carries the weight of kind of like cussing out. Jesus, what are you thinking? You are not going to die. The Messiah is not going to die. And we hear Jesus look at him and say, like, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Peter had a vision of who the Messiah was that was through the way of man, through the way of the world. He saw the Messiah as someone that was coming in on a white horse, just kind of like a gladiator coming to dominate Rome and have 
Israel rise in power. But that picture didn't match this picture that Jesus presented the Son of Man would suffer. And as Jesus continues in the Gospels to talk about the Son of Man, he uses things like the Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The Son of Man has come to redeem the lost. All pictures that when Peter put them on top of his view of this conquering gladiator didn't didn't match. And we do this as well. We have these views of God that we see through the world. We maybe have a clouded view of God because we look at him like, like the president, where we see this Jesus as God that is distant, that is making these rules and kind of just grouping us up into, we're just Tennessee, he doesn't really know us. Maybe we have a picture of God that looks like our parents, that looks like an employer, where we are having to do something to get a paycheck. We are having to do something to get their approval and we're working and working and working for that. Maybe we have this skewed view of God that looks like a principle that three strikes and you're out. You talk too much, get out of here. So what happens when we take this picture of the Son of Man and we place it on top of these views we have of God? Does it reveal something different? And Jesus here, taking this picture of the Son of Man, putting it next to someone that suffers, putting it next to a servant, he actually points us to a revelation he gave to his prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament. So I'm going to read this passage to you guys and with you. It's a little bit long, so you can get comfortable, you can read along. But as I read this passage, take this view that maybe you have of God and place this on top of it. The Son of Man is revealing a clear picture of God. Isaiah 53. Just watch my servant blossom, exalted, tall, head and shoulders above the crowd. But he didn't begin that way. At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured past recognition. Nations all over the world will be in awe, taken aback. Kings shocked into silence when they see him. For what was unheard of, they'll see with their own eyes. What was unthinkable, they'll have right before them. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There's nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him, the people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, 
It was our pain he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that he, that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. He was beaten and tortured, but didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to the slaughter, like a sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him into a grave of a rich man, even though he never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible anguish of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. And he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his shoulders the sin of many, he took up the cause of all the black sheep. This picture of a suffering servant shows us that God not only suffers for us, but suffers with us. That when we take these pictures that are skewed of who God is and we place this picture of the Son of Man on top of it, it looks a little different. When we take Peter's picture of this conquering horse rider and we put this picture on top of it, what is revealed to us that the Son of Man does not come to dominate but comes underneath to serve. And when we take our picture of this president distant looking God and we put this picture of the Son of Man on top of it, it reveals to us that God is not distant. In fact, we see here that this story in Isaiah is a picture of Jesus. And for the Jews, they, they saw Jesus right there. It wasn't the struggle to be like, oh, God was man. But for us, God became man. John 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates that, God moved into our neighborhood. He was far from distant. 
This passage talks about him growing up around us and him caring for the causes of the black sheep. That means that nobody was jumbled together, but he cares. That reveals a very different picture than the distant God. When we take this picture of the suffering servant and put it on top of our skewed view of a God that looks like a parent or an employer that we are having to do things for, we see that he says, I actually am doing something for you. I don't expect anything in return. I'm gonna do it for you. Reveals a clearer picture. And then when we put the suffering servant on top of a picture of a principle-looking God that says, you're out of here, you screwed up too much, we, we see that he actually is wanting us to come in. He's doing this, holding this on so he can bring us life and bring us in. This God, this picture of the Son of Man, shows us a very different way than we maybe see it through the world. It reveals a God who suffers with us, who mourns alongside of us, who grieves broken hearts with us. Emmanuel, God with us. There's this book called Night, and it is a book that um, is written by a man who survived a Jewish concentration camp, and he tells of a story of a time when um, he was at Auschwitz, and there was a mass hanging, and they were forced to watch it, and three people went up there to be hung, and there was two men and then a 10-year-old boy. Upon being hung, the two men died immediately from the weight of their body. However, the 10-year-old boy was up there for about 30 minutes before he died. And while this boy was struggling, the author heard mumbling next to him, where is God? Where is God? And then this voice inside of him gently spoke. He's on the gallows. God is on the gallows. This picture of the suffering servant that the Son of Man reveals looks like a God who is on the gallows with us. Yet the good news doesn't end there. The Son of Man continues to reveal more. That not only does he suffer with us, he suffers for us, and then he rises again and brings victory. The Son of Man is a picture of victory. See, even Peter in this story and the other Jews would have heard Jesus say, Son of Man, and they immediately would have gone to prophecies and Old Testament scriptures that they would have heard about the Son of Man that was wrapped up in victory. They would look at Ezekiel 37 where you read the Son of Man, look at these dry bones and give them life. And they would go to Daniel 7, a picture of the Son of Man conquering the beast and coming down and having dominion over his kingdom forever and ever. So when Peter, once again, hears Jesus say that he's gonna suffer and die, he's like, no, that's not how victory 
happens. Because once again, Peter's picture of God was a little fuzzy, and so the Son of Man begins to reveal a clearer picture. In this vision of Daniel 7, if you guys want to know more details, it's really fascinating, come talk to me. But, but what happens is Daniel sees four beasts. He sees a lion with wings, he sees a bear with ribs in its mouth, he sees a leopard with lots of wings, and he sees some indescribable beasts with ten horns. A beast so powerful that it talks about Daniel just being anxious and afraid. And then one horn comes out, and this horn has eyes and a mouth and fangs, and that horn uproots three other horns, and Daniel is terrified. But then Daniel sees the Ancient of Days coming down, sitting on his throne, and the beast is put into the lake of fire and destroyed. And the other beasts lose their power and eventually are destroyed as well. Then it takes us to this scripture. I saw in the night's vision, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came like one a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we see this picture of the beast being destroyed and the son of man sitting on the throne with a kingdom lasting forever and ever. But Peter's like, that doesn't make sense. Because here's the deal, Peter thought that that last beast, the last enemy, was Rome. And so he did not understand that when Jesus went to the cross, the cross being a sign for the Jews, a sign of loss and defeat because they were being crucified and killed on these crosses. So when Jesus went to that, how is that a sign of victory? But what Jesus knew is that that last beast wasn't Rome, but it was sin, and it was death. And so that it was by the cross that he would take our sins, this innocent sacrifice, and die for us, and turn this cross, a symbol of defeat, into a symbol of victory. And then he'd rise again. And we're told this in the Isaiah passage even. Who would have thought God's saving power would work like this? We're told that in that Mark 8 passage that the Son of Man would suffer and would die and then would rise again. That his victory of these beasts would happen over sin and death through his suffering. And that he would rise and be victorious. So do you, do we live as people that serve a God that is victorious? Do you, like Peter, see the enemy as a person? Do you see the enemy as the officer in Ferguson, Mississippi? 
Do you see the enemy as your professor, as your roommate, as your parents? Or do you see the enemy as sin? Sin running rampant through this world, through this country, through our lives. And if you do see the enemy as sin, then do you look at it as being defeated? Do you wake up and look at your addiction in the face and say, you do not win? Do you look at your self-harm and say, you're gonna lose? Your shame, your guilt, your inadequacies. Do you live as victorious people? Because what the Son of Man has revealed is that God is a victorious, suffering servant. What the Son of Man reveals is a God that looks like Jesus. Jesus on the cross, Jesus resurrected. And then the Son of Man begins to reveal what it looks like for us to participate. He begins to reveal what it looks like for us to show the Son of Man off as well. Mark 8 continues and says, he, Jesus says to the people, to his disciples, he says, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He invites us into this to be like the suffering servant. He says, come and suffer alongside of each other. On Sunday night, I got the privilege of sitting here as there was a worship service just in honor of Sean, and I watched so many of you suffer with each other. I watched those of you that were mourning mourn with someone else. I was overwhelmed by how deeply you all love one another. Continue to show off the Son of Man by suffering alongside of one another. He invites us into this revelation of him by saying, be a servant. The Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served. So what does it look like when we walk into a room do we say, what can you offer to me? Or how can I serve? Those of you that have been around me for a while know this um, example that I love to use for a posture of service. It is a cyclist named um, Jens Voigt. And he is, he's a domestique. And so for those of you that don't know, Cycling is actually a team sport, and so you have a captain, and then you have the rest of the team that is helping that one person win. And a domestique, their job is to help the captain win. And Jens is an incredible athlete. I feel like he probably could have won tons of tours. However, he never chose to be the captain. He always wanted to be the one that served. And there's lots of great, fun stories about him and what he does. But a perfect picture for me of what it looks like for us to, to participate in this service was he was riding one day and um, his captain's bike broke down. And so he gave his bike to the captain and then their service cars didn't have any more bikes for him, but he knew he had to finish the race. 
So he sees some kids on the side of the road, and they have like little kids' bikes, and so he knew he had to finish, so he ended up taking one of the kids' bikes, asking permission, and finishing the race through the middle of the night on this child's bike so that the captain would get the points or whatever he needed to get. We are invited to, as the Son of Man did, to come and serve, to be as a domestique. And we are invited to live in victory as well. The Son of Man reveals to us a clearer picture of Jesus, a picture of a victorious, suffering servant. Is that how you see Jesus? Is that the kingdom you are participating in? I pray that tonight, this week, that you, like the blind man, may look up and have your sight restored by the Son of Man, and that you may see Jesus clearly, this victorious, suffering servant, the Son of Man, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I'm thankful that you are not far away, that you are Emmanuel, you are with us, that you suffer with us and for us. And I'm so thankful that you win. Thank you for, for this weight of glory. Pray this in your name, amen.